2: Recording.
1: Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers rugby podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB, sat here on my own, on my own because much like Owen Farrell, the other two lads have been banned from the studio. Tim, shipping container down in Exmouth, how are you?
0: Uh, very well. I had a little stroll around Exmouth Rugby Club earlier, now, and uh, and I'm hope I, I haven't seen any Exeter Chiefs wrestling on the beach yet. But I'm hoping they're going to come and take me on one of these
1: days. Excellent. Now, Exmouth Rugby Club sounds silly. Did Exeter used to play there? Does it have a track around it or something?
0: There is a track around it. I didn't know Exeter played there at one point. All, all I all I will say is I'm staying um, right on the right on the water, and I can see the posts of the first team pitch from from the little. Uh, um, what's it called like the like a deck a deck the deck that's just uh, over the estuary I can see the rugby pitch there so ah. it's a lovely spot it's a cracking little club
1: yeah so uh, the only reason I ask that is I know Exmouth have a, have a tracker on that I don't know how I know that and I also know that when XT used to play back in the amateur days, they had to walk over a track to play. Whether that, it's the same thing, I do not know. Oh, no, no,
0: that that was the county ground uh, before was it, it was, uh, before Sandy Park, the county ground uh, had a little well, mud track. I think they used it for maybe dogs or, I, I don't know what it was used for. Anyway, yeah, because was the county ground, notoriously muddy.
1: When we're talking about dogs and rugby, uh, Conox Ground, I believe, is owned by the, like, the National Whippet Association of, of Ireland, which is why they struggled to get it developed for so long.
0: Right, JB is like the best rugby filibusterer in the world ever.
1: <laughs> Shall we bring in <laughs> Phil because he's more interesting than
2: both of us? Hello, Phil. Hello, gentlemen. I, I was quite enjoying listening to that. Yeah, I
0: that... didn't say it wasn't it. I didn't say it wasn't interesting. But <laughs> JB's unbelievable ability to just take stuff on off on random tangents. I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm hoping for more.
1: Well, this 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 is why <laughs> Phil is one of my few friends because he actually enjoys stuff like that.
2: Well, I I did I did um, enjoy it. I, um... Although I do often say that's interesting, JB. Yes,
1: you do, don't you? There's always a red flag. That always <laughs> want to catch myself. <laughs> so, how did you two enjoy this weekend's rugby? Well, it depends um, on which game you're talking about. Talk H yeah. versus um, Trafford metrovics is one i was spe- oh. uh, specifically referring to.
0: Well, what well, let's mean, talk. Well, let's talk about that later. But you, but hold on, JB. What, what what are you talking about? You're done with Didsbury Talk H, aren't you? You've retired.
1: I'm not you're done with reti- Didsbury Talk H. I might be done with competitive rugby but I'm not done, done with This Dizbury Talk H
0: okay so you went along to watch
1: no I played but we'll talk about that later
0: oh what JB yeah. okay we definitely need to talk about that later JB has come out of retirement before he's even retired been able to retire not missed a single match yet <laughs> we're gonna find out about that later but no it depends what game you watched I thoroughly and whatever the opposite of enjoying what's the opposite of enjoying Oof. Oof. I don't know. Suffered through. I suffered through uh, England v Wales and then thoroughly enjoyed France Scotland. God, France so Scotland was good, wasn't it? The yin and yang I, of rugby, right there.
2: I loved France Scotland. Do you I, know? I, I thought. I thought both those games were absolutely
1: excellent. So, do you know? I, I'm tempted to start with France Scotland because it's just so much more interesting. But I do think most of our audience are probably English or well or Welsh based. Shall we do those first?
0: Well, I've certainly noticed this from uh, you know doing a bit of YouTube. Misery loves company. That the views <laughs> when England lose are way bigger than when they win.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, quite. Maybe it's because of all the um, Sweeney out momentum that we're that we're building through through this podcast.
2: Well, I, th- I think on the back of that, Tim, you're
1: going to have a very profitable World Cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, well congratulations Tim uh, England might lose uh, but you will win <laughs> <laughs> I don't know look at that feathering his own nest the two way bet <laughs> <laughs> oh. I
0: really want England to do well at the World Cup I really do well as much as anything we all care about rugby and you've already mentioned Digby Talk H I've been taking my son along all through pre-season training at Broughton Park Phil I'm sure if, if Thomas shows any inkling of interest in rugby you'll be taking him straight down to your local club and uh, kitting him out, and, and Hannah as well, too, if if that's the case. But w- rugby's in a in a dire place. That's the context we're in right now going into this World Cup. Rugby's in a dire place financially in terms of participation numbers, in terms of the kind of existential threat to what rugby is and the fabric of the game. And so what we need desperately is a really good England international team. And what what's being served up at the minute is only pouring fuel on top of a bonfire of rugby that... Yeah. I desperately need to put out and resurrected soon. I'm mixing up all my analogies there, but you get the point.
1: Well, let, let's do the week chronologically, because when this team was announced, it was the first time I've been super excited for England team in a long time. I thought this was the most dynamite selection, maybe in the last two or three years. That team looked phenomenal on paper. Mm, I I agree. I, for me,
2: maybe there's a toss up between Marla and. Um, genge yep but for, for, I'd, I'd take Marla for the more stable scrummaging with genges off the bench and maybe the back row misses curry but other than that i was delighted with the team i was absolutely delighted to see lawrence and march in, in the centers delighted to see Daly back delighted to see Arundel in there delighted to see van portfleet ahead of either the two older scrum halves i was like this This is a strong England team. This is the kind of, with a couple of names that you might throw in there, but this could be the starting team for the World Cup. And it's against a, a, let's just call it a weaker Welsh team. A rotated Welsh team. On paper, yeah. Neither of these Welsh teams have been first choice for, for a number of reasons, but it was a considerably stronger England team than it was a Welsh team. So as an Englishman, with the with that in mind, going to Twickenham, I was excited. Even putting last week's pretty dire performance out of my mind.
1: Yeah, just just to expand on that, I, I think there could have been stronger England teams put out. You know, potentially. You mentioned Curry. You mentioned Marler. Completely agree, agree with that. I thought the selection in terms of excitement. I mean, we were, oh, well, we I was waxing lyrical about Ben Earl last week. Probably a little bit more than you two. Um and I'm not saying he's better than Tom Curry in any way he's, he's but he is more like more exciting and same with Genge I mean Genge is more exciting than Mahler, even even though Mahler's probably a more rounded player it was the excitement of the selection that got me mm. Yeah Um well so I'm glad that glad something was exciting
2: that's good yeah. <laughs> Well it's the pre-match there was some excitement pre-match
1: uh, What happened pre- yeah well yeah quite I mean the team selection and that's about it As for the Welsh yeah. team I mean I mean, it, it was a Welsh team, right? It was just a Welsh team.
0: Yeah, it had some it had some class operators in there. Liam Williams and Josh Adams. Oh my
1: word! I tell you what, Wales—if they have got a conundrum now, it is their two veteran veteran fullbacks are outstanding.
2: <laughs> yeah, great. Who who is? I mean, I'd probably go for Liam Williams just because I think he offers a bit more going forward. But they're <sighs> both ace. They're both brilliant under the eyeball. They're both super super breathe and super super
1: hard uh it's it's a nice problem to have i'd go liam williams because one reason uh he he desires that niggle doesn't he he's not afraid to you know wind people up what was the penalty that he drew off somebody
0: arundel yellow card
1: arundel yellow card just by being an absolute nasty piece of work i love that but there was a turnover
2: as well um, late on in the game where he, it was Mario Itoji, it was a pop pass from uh, Ben Youngs to Mario Itoji, which was the wrong call from Ben Youngs to give it because Itoji was totally isolated. Itoji goes in isolated, gets turned over by Liam Williams and Liam Williams, as he's on the floor, is kind of mouthing off. And he's the one who's won the penalty and he's mouthing off winding up yeah. the people who failed to get there. He's such a niggly player.
0: So you had some nailed-on starters, but you had some lads who I've barely heard of.
1: Yeah, well, Tom Rogers, no yeah. idea. Joe Roberts, no idea. Um, just no idea. I mean, even on um, the various rugby apps which one can use, they don't even have a profile picture.
2: Yeah, it is it is a much, much weaker squad. I mean, I um, don't
1: know. Warren Gat-
0: Warren, go back to the Six Nations, and we thought, oh, dear. And even Warren Gatlin said, had he known that the situation in Wales was as it was, he, might, he probably wouldn't have taken the job. Nevertheless, with a little bit of time, what Warren Gatland has managed to achieve, and you, you've mentioned this many, many times, JB, Warren Gatland's mantra, be the best at the things that require no effort. So the so fitness true, is it? on point. The attitude is there. And, you know, other, other than the line-out, which was absolutely shambolic and <laughs> it cost, was, them the it? Game, cost them the game, probably, ultimately. Uh, other than that, where Adam Beer towards the end was having to sort of... They got a free kick against them because he was having to explain how to do the, the line-out move. So aside from that, Warren Gatland has, has just done Warren Gatland things and got those foundations, whereas England don't appear to be progressing. And that's the most concerning part. Like you say, we thought, oh, OK, now we've got a team full of experienced guys. And you can say that I actually thought there were some elements of the England kicking game that were decent, particularly in that first half, the variety of it, bringing Elliot Daly in, Elliot Daly in with his left foot, Owen Farrell with
1: the grubbers, the spiral bombs. Can I, I actually quite liked it. But other than that. Can I just mention on the England kicking game, there were elements of it which were successful. I think that this story about the England kicking game was pre planned uh, and comms fell for it big time. So they did a load of highlights of Owen Farrell's kicking. Now, it wasn't bad... Well, was it bad kicking? You, you tell me what you think. This is verbatim what analysis said on comms. These are great kicks, and on another day, Liam Williams wouldn't have been there. But he was, wasn't he? And that is the whole point of kicking, which is you kick to space. If you kick to where Liam Williams is, it's not a good kick. There's no point in saying it would have been a good kick had the opposition not been there, because that's utter nonsense. And that's what, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. These kicks on another day would have been, would have been very dangerous. Yes. So with the intercepted pass, would you carry well, on throwing? Phil, uh, what, what is this?
0: Bill was a winger in his day, so you're really well placed to talk about this um, from having to defend and, and make those decisions between stepping up to defend <laughs> the ball going wide and staying back for the kick and stuff. But that's basically, rugby's really simple and the kick is effective when you offer a genuine threat somewhere else. And we saw this with Scotland and with France. Um, when you get those wingers into indecision because they don't know what you're going to do are you going to chuck a pass in are you going to do a deceptive move and get the ball to the wide channel then suddenly the wingers step up and the kick becomes an option England just don't offer the other threat so it, it, they just make themselves so predictable Phil I, 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 is, that, is that a really that's a really basic forward playing summary <clears throat> of things but is, is there anything in that
2: I've I've seen you play ten, Tim. You can you can uh, <laughs> dabble. Um, no, I, I I would agree with that. And I, what I would say that there were some good kicks. Like there, there were two grubbers from Owen Farrell, which probably JB that um, that observation that comment in comms could be applied to the grubbers because they are the one f- through for Harry Arundel on the. Right hand side, and there was one through for Elliot Daly on the left hand side. A slightly different bounce of those, and that could have been a try. But, JB, I completely agree with your analysis on some of the other stuff. Like, for example, the Owen Farrell kick that led to the Arundel um, yellow card. Mm. Now, I, I'm not blaming the Arundel yellow card on uh, Owen Farrell. they no, go gone do it. Um, some, some people would, but that was just a poor, dull kick. It was too deep. It was easy for Lee, too high, too deep, easy for Liam Williams to get under and mark it. And it was just there was, as you say, Tim, there was no other threat that he'd kind of run out of options. Therefore, he had to kick, and that made it easy for Wales to deal with. And it was that one was executed poorly. Yeah, um, I mean, one other good kick would be, I think it was a free kick from I want to say a line-out, but it was a free kick where he put up the spiral bomb. Which Josh Adams, who is a um, very experienced international winger, made him look like a fool. I thought Liam Williams. I thought Liam Williams dropped that one. I, th- I thought it was Josh Adams in the first half. First in the first 50, half, yeah, fifteen uh, minutes. I thought it was Josh. But anyway, whoever was under it, it was an absolute nightmare to deal with. But that, the, those grubbers, which could have been effective, and that spiral bomb—they're the kind of things that can get the back three or put them under pressure or get them guessing and they weren't particularly effective and well, jb just on your um the, that kind of um what, what did you, how did you phrase it that was the narrative in comms yes. on the kick in the excellent kick in
1: well they'd already done well, the media had already done a feature this week on george Ford's spiral bombs so it was obviously yeah. going to come up
2: well, that, that was, I was going to say, that was the uh, O2 Inside Line. Yeah. There, w- there was about five minutes on George Ford talking you through the basics of how to spiral bomb, which yeah. even I found like a little bit dull. <laughs>
1: I quite like that. i tell you what I did like about the O2 Inside Line thing. I would just want to expand on, on the kicking thing as well. I, this sounds so nerdy, but I get so excited, not when they're talking. But when you watch them doing their drills and you realise how good these lads are, because if you've done those drills, just the basic hands drills or just basic unopposed drills, and you see them moving and the fluidity of the moving and the speed the speed of the pass, I love watching them training more than I, more than I love watching them playing uh, sometimes, because you realise how good they are.
2: You love watching England play at the moment.
1: Well... You've, you've never been so excited for rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full you, time you on were, Saturday, were ready, I loved it. I'm not going to lie.
0: You were ready to check out and not bother. You were considering not doing the podcast. You were so out of love with rugby. And England's demise well, just resurrected you, you, your
1: I'm going to be sending Owen, Owen, Owen Farrell a, a, bou- a bouquet of flowers after this weekend. <laughs>
2: um, I've, g- I've genuinely not seen you so excited on WhatsApp <laughs> since Leinster lost the final this year.
1: I mean, that was glorious. I mean, yeah, and then, that's, that's 1A and 1B, isn't
2: it? But just, and then Leinster... When Leinster lost the previous year, and then when Bristol lost to
1: Quins and all of oh, those. Bristol losing to Quinns yeah. was wonderful. <laughs> it um, fills your heart with joy. Doesn't it just? So, let me just go back to the kicking, because something happened last week, which we missed. We didn't talk about it, and it happened this week as well, and I think it's really, really interesting. It's more of a general rugby comment and how you play the game, rather than specific to this game. But did you notice last week, Wales setting up for a box kick, and then whizzing it out to the fly half, who then kicks to the opposite side of the field. Do you notice that?
2: I didn't, but I... so I didn't in the game, but I noticed Charlie Morgan observe it this week. Yes. So
1: So after we finished the podcast, Morgan put that up. I was like, bloody hell, that's brilliant. And the reason I'm so enthused about it is because of all of these boring people, like, these boring reactionary people. You say, oh, we must ban this, or this must be stopped, or we must change the laws. And actually... The laws are so dynamic and coaches are so good at manipulating them that the box kick has now gone, in my mind, from something which is... It can sometimes be very boring, but I love the contested kick. I love the fact that Opposition coaches have now got escorting forwards to get rid of that kick. But then I also love the counter to that, which is, OK, well, if you're going to get your escorting forwards to stop the contestable kick, we're going to dummy that kick past the fly half and then put it to the other side of the pitch where there are all no escorting forwards and, hey, presto, Joe Cock and a singer will not go to a World Cup. That is wonderful. That is absolutely how rugby should develop, not through committees and not through people just trying to ban something to get the outcome that they want, more offloading, more tries. Let the game develop itself.
2: I, I thought that was a good observation from Charlie Morgan. And, and it, to the point that he made was when England think there's a box kick, they'll put their winger on that side if it's down Wales's left side, their right winger, plus Freddie Stewart will both sit in that pocket ready for the box kick. Yeah. And that's when they're susceptible because Freddie Stewart is so far over one way. So this will it will stretch England a bit more. Now, that that just puts – it probably – uh, if England have observed that as well, it probably just means, well, you're more likely to start with Watson and Daly on the wings because they're both kind of international fullbacks in well, their own right.
1: If you look back at the games, it also happened a lot, the All Blacks versus South Africa, and they did it uh, um, over Pimpi, who, again, is a world-class winger. And I think the important part about this is you're getting from banning the box kick to now a situation where the box kick is so threatening that that... Additional threat of kicking to the other side of the field via the fly half, I mean, the yes, escorting forwards will, will disappear because you've got to do something else with them, and now the game becomes really, really open.
0: And Again, it, needed... it goes back to the point of having multiple genuine threats, and
1: yeah, mm. just let the game evolve; they'll work uh, it out.
0: And to that point, because England, the way they're attacking, is seems so predictable and robotic. And actually, when do you when do you remember a time when that wasn't the case in the last? 10 minutes of this match when they had to score, even though they had three men down at one point, they had to go and score because they were were points down on the scoreboard. When else? In the autumn against New Zealand when they were 18 points down and they had to just rip up Steve Borthwick's script and do something different and I think that's basically tells you absolutely everything. The times when England look threatening is when they have no choice but to abandon the pre-planned script that Steve Borthwick has written for them and I'm not even blaming Steve Borthwick for this because this was obvious. We talked about this before. This is exactly what he was always going to do. There's no surprise. Mm. This, this is the right man at the wrong time. I think he can pull it together for the World Cup. But this over this short time horizon,
1: Steve Borthwick's going to have to rip up his own script because I... it's not going to work. So I think you raised two separate points there. I think the first point is how England play, and I think we should definitely dive into that a bit more. But the second point about how the England players responded later, I think speaks more to their attitude. I I think England's attitude sucks. I mean, I really think they are an arrogant bunch. And nothing more proved that than that last 10 minutes. Well, no, the first 17 minutes combined with that last 10 10 minutes. But why don't you talk...
0: I I, I see, what I'm contending is that less than... It was attitude... But, but not in a kind of arrogance versus humility, but in a on-script, off-script, robotic versus uh, off-the-cuff. Well, yeah, because was... when, when you're 18 points <laughs> down against New Zealand, you're like, well, all right, we're not box-kicking. We'll we, we, we need to score tries. Well, and but... again, against Wales, it's like, we haven't got times running out with three men down. We can't do what we were planning to do. We've got to score tries. And they suddenly look threatening. I think that I think that's a more logical explanation for what happened than the, the
1: arrogance. Well, I have Ex- to, explain, explain what you mean. Well, let's just go to how how England play and how we're coached. I, I have no doubt. I am one hundred percent positive on on this point. That if I just assembled those, those players right and I told them to show up to a meeting room so I could explain to them how to play, and I didn't show up, they would have played better than how they played on the weekend. Like, it's like paralysis by analysis, or, almost. Like, I, so I kind of do agree with you. Like, they've, they've clearly not mastered what Steve Borthwick wants them to do, uh, or Steve Borthwick has not communicated it well enough. Something is fundamentally wrong with how they play. But I'm not sure it's the structure, because, like, can you hear that? What, what was that?
0: Motorbike going by someone?
1: I think,
2: I think it was a motorbike going down my street. Oh, right, okay, fine.
0: Um, Phil's on the Isle of Man with the TT goes <laughs>
1: on <It's like that. laughs> I mean I I'm not sure it's so much but there again I don't I'm not sure it's so much the style of England's attack but more how the players are are are, are executing it. So I it, I don't see anyone in world rugby doing anything much different to how England play with their three forwards. But I don't see anyone else doing anything yeah I just don't see anyone else doing anything differently. I just don't think England executes it very well as players. I,
2: I think I think the execution in the last two weeks has been uh, absolutely diabolical, and I, Steve Borthwick in his post-match press conference said, "the
0: uh,
2: he uh, he, pro- he would probably say he's not trying to give excuses, but I took it as an excuse." He said the players have just had the hardest week of training that they've ever had, and that was one of the reasons why there were so many drop balls and lost lost in turnovers. But that's the same as last week, but what do and it's actually Wales have the same doing? as. Say again sorry. What do they think Wales have been doing? I, I know, on the beach. Or yeah.
0: Scotland or France. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Precisely. Yeah yeah. That that for me is not an adequate reason no. at all. Um but I do I do think there's I think there's something in both of those points uh, JB I do agree like when I when I listen to the O2 Inside Line which I love there's so much talk around like we're building something special and we're part of something special and like I just feel like they're telling themselves that they're more that they than they are. Now yeah. that that's just that's just like 5 second clips in um in a few minutes of video that's been heavily curated. But I get the impression that they think they're better than they actually are. I completely they've not agree. they've not
1: earned the right to feel like that. I think they've forgotten what it is to earn a position. And the reason I say this is I I'm just looking at this Wales squad. Now if someone wants to talk about the unwritten story, it has to be these Welsh boys. We've not seen a first a first Welsh team yet. Sorry, a Welsh first team yet. We've seen two mixtures of players and they are playing for their lives. They are nowhere near as good on paper as England. Like the achievements of the regions have been diabolical of late. So they're not building their confidence from that. And if you listen to what Warren Gatlin says, he's like, Well, if I play tomorrow, I probably know three guys who would get onto my team sheet and he's not picked a squad either. So last mm. week for England was like I didn't I didn't really appreciate it at the time but after the England squad was announced I did. It was like a goodbye and a thank you for training mm. which just isn't what you do. It's just I think Borthwick can can be blamed for this solely uh, that you don't you don't treat your international games as a thank you for anybody ever. Warren Gatland has treated his like this is a you know if you're playing you could go to the World Cup. Johnny Hill knows he's not going to the World Cup. And conversely, those players who played on the weekend, know more or less that they are going going to the World Cup, and it shows. And I'm so bored of watching Owen Farrell. I said, who else does it? um, Ellis Genge and quite a few others with you know the little cry faces when they've been uh, yellow carded. Some of these some of these players look like they they just think the game should happen for them because they are who they are, and they've forgotten what it is to to win a spot. And when they have to, they they can do it. So that last ten minutes, you think, yeah, okay, there is some there is something here. So maybe they can turn that on in the World Cup. And I hope for all the England fans that they can. But other than that, I think their attitude absolutely sucks. Well,
0: that
2: that I, the other point I wanted to make was that last ten minutes, and I think I think Cocker, you are absolutely spot on. And I went back and watched because it, it reminded me so much that last ten minutes of the uh, England New Zealand game from last year. And I went back and watched that game, and. England were crap for 70 minutes. And then it was over. They had 10 minutes to score 20-odd points, and they just played with a total freedom that they hadn't done at all. And it's the same as this, that last 10 minutes when they're three, three men down, and after when they got the, the other men back, and even when Adam Beard went off, they actually played with a freedom because they had to score yeah. some points. And they, they did, they kind of ripped up the... the um, Borthwick prescribed rule book and that was them playing their best rugby. Now whether you, whether you can do that for 80 minutes, whether you can do it for longer than 10 minutes when you're already um, tries down, one or two scores down but there there is definitely something in that.
0: If we're seeing that and Again, correlation may equal causation. It may not be exactly how it is on the park. But if we're seeing that, I wouldn't mind betting that in quiet conversations, England players are saying it. It's it's very reminiscent of Gregor Townsend and Finn Russell friction
1: unless from
0: from a couple of years ago.
1: Unless, and I suspect there is an element of this too, that the reputations of those players and the England hierarchy is so set in stone that no one questions it. Like, Owen will come good. Genji will come good. These are the best guys that we've got. No no one questions it. Because... uh, Let me just pose this question to you, this hypothetical. Do you think England would have played better the last two games if, when the coach changed from Eddie Jones to Steve Borthwick, he didn't announce a captain, and he said things like Warren Gatland has said, which is, if I play tomorrow, there's only three names that I'd pick. I have no idea. In fact, these guys are rubbish. In fact, if I knew how bad this was, I wouldn't have taken this job. I mean, imagine just ripping up the script completely for them, saying, right... It's completely up to you to prove to me that you deserve to be here. I bet this group of players would be absolutely dynamite now, but instead look, my, they look complacent.
0: I think my gut feeling response to that is, and I know the point you're making, and there could there could well be something in it, but you actually put in our group chat earlier the phrase paralysis by analysis, mm. and I think that is more at the root of this. I think these players are diligently doing what their coach has told them to do. I think they are buying into their coaches. I think they believe they believe in their coach. and they're, they're diligently being professionals, seeing that the route to success is doing what their coach has prescribed and try and do it all together. Yeah, and I just think I just think that that style of rugby is maybe ten years old now. I, I, and I, I, and it, I, it worked. It worked for Leicester Tigers. It could it work for England? Potentially, yes. But what most is likely, Bartlett no.
1: Asking them to do fundamentally, he's asking them to kick chase hard. Yeah. You know, Kick the ball a lot. You know, he's asking them make, to do... make the off-
0: make, make the opposition make errors. Yeah, kick, pe- pick, kick penalty goals and score. Uh, kick to the you know, get penalties, uh, force penalties with turnovers. Don't use those turnovers to go wide, but use them to kick for the corner and, and play driving malls.
1: I mean, you could forgive him, couldn't you, if he was asking them to play you know, Harlem Globe Trotters uh, uh, mixed with the Sexton Loop and, you know, the requirement to have the skills of Carlos Spencer. You could forgive them for getting that wrong, but I can't forgive them for getting this wrong, because you need to kick chase hard, and <clears> you need to execute your line-outs. So that is, like, the bare minimum. Now, I, to you know, to only be six points up against a team like Wales, who was just cobbled together recently with a couple of guys who don't, don't even have a profile picture, and who lost four of their own line-outs before half-time, my word, that is dreadful. My word. Just, just on that... Uh... That tactic
2: as well. There was Borthwick used some terminology in the post match press conference about describing Wales as like Argentina, they're the kind of team who will be very difficult to beat and will be in any game, therefore can win any game. And the yeah. point he was making was this is a good test for playing Argentina in the first game of the World Cup, which is the most important game in the World Cup. Um, group stages because it's the most difficult team in their group Um, but I actually think it reveals something of Borthwick's plan for England because I think he's trying to make England more like um, not necessarily Wales or Argentina but actually more like South Africa the last um, winners of the World Cup now part of that might be because of the chip on the shoulder that England still have from getting hammered in the final but that South Africa team wasn't the kind of thing, know, they did it against Canada or um Italy or Namibia, I think it was, in the um group stages. But they weren't the kind of team who were gonna blast anyone by twenty, thirty points apart from England in the final. Um they were the kind of team who would be in it in any game, but could win or lose any game, and they actually lost to New Zealand in the group stages. And they only managed to beat that nuggety Wales team by three points in the semi-finals, so I think there's some insight into what Bothwick is trying to do. Whether that is the right approach, um, we time will tell.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he's trying to do something with them. I mean, look, if they play like they did for the first seven against Argentina, they'll get absolutely spanked. If they play like they did in the last ten, they will blow Argentina away fairly comfortably. I would, I would suggest.
2: I. I tend to agree. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Oh. Uh,
0: yeah, and I and I agree. And uh, th- this is this is the conundrum, and th- this is the rub because that that would require it would require Steve Borthwick to rip up his own script.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, would it not just re- require the players to try harder? I mean, that's what I think. It would just no. require them to try harder. There's just no. an attitude like Maratoge was completely anonymous. There were two good players, I think, for England in the first seventy, Courtney. Courtney was d- demolishing line-outs, but that also could be because you know Adam Beard had to explain it to most of the other players. Yeah. So you know swings and roundabouts. But, Courtney's line-out was great, yeah, but you yeah. know his opposition were not. Ben Earl yeah. did all right. I mean, didn't do great. He did all right.
2: I I thought I thought the individual performances um, take the whole game. Ben Earle, I thought played well. And it was a menace at the breakdown, and he was one of the few forwards that gave good go forward. I thought Elliot, Elliot Daly had a couple of lovely runs, some nice kicks on the boot, and looked solid throughout. Uh, and I thought Marchant, when he got a couple of half chances, he looked good. Yeah, Marchant good. was class, but he's always but class. It, but it was only a couple of half... It's, like, it's, I want to see more of these guys. Yeah. I want to see more of Marchant. I want to see more... I, I, I think one of the learning things from this is, uh, had Borthwick not already announced his squad, I don't think Billy would be in his squad. No. Like I, I think we would be seeing a back row of Ludlam, Curry, and Ben Earl. You need more energy. That's what England uh, yeah. lack, isn't it? Energy. Where was the energy? Laws, Curry, Earl, Or Laws, Willis, Curry. Like, you've
1: got to have those more dynamic guys. Yeah. Or guys that are wanting to prove themselves. These guys don't want to prove themselves. I'm sure of it. I am sure. We
0: we will have broken a record compared to any other conversation on this game, not mentioning uh, Owen Farrell's red card, because apparently that is the only story to take out of this game.
1: I'm you, I am humouring you, Tim. I am just giving look, look, look. This podcast is about more than me. It's partly about you, Tim. So I'm going to let you have you have your, your your fun, and then when we get to Owen Farrell, I'll have my fun. Well, sh- shall we? Shall we just work
2: our way into Faz by talking about because there was there was five other cards in this game. And I think I think it's interesting that the two the two Welsh yellow cards were for the same reason at the breakdown. Yep. Um I thought Raphael was hard done by I thought Beard yep. was correct. Yep. Um the four England cards were all entirely different. There was no there was no correlation between them. Well um, I think the correlation
1: was discipline.
2: I, 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 I kind of that goes without saying for all cards. Well, no, because you, it, you can
1: get an accidental card, can't you? Like you can slip into a high tackle, or you can be getting pumped at the scrum. There's nothing you can do about it. Like there are certain things where you get issued with a card and think, you know, I'm I wasn't stupid. I was just really unlucky." And that's what the that's what the high tackle framework says. Or you know, there are like, things that happen. I th- I think
2: that's so. I think Genj was unlucky. I'm not a prop but Genge felt unlucky. He'd only been on the pitch two minutes. I wasn't aware that there was a previous warning and he got done for hinging an immediate yellow card. Off you go. That's yes. That felt unlucky rather than discipline.
1: Yeah, and, yeah that's fair.
2: And the, um, the steward one... It's not really discipline,
1: it's just... The it's, one was amazing. The steward one just... was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Between him and Owen Farrell, they are... I,
0: I thought I thought Stewart one was worse than Farrell's,
1: personally. Uh, the, uh, steward and Farrell are in a running gunfight so he can get the most stupid card and have the most stupid <laughs> passage of play. And I love it. I'm all for it. So, what I loved about the steward one, right, is... His eyes went on the ball. He was looking at the player he was about to tackle. He tackles a player, realises that he's in trouble... But then he almost stops playing. And if it wasn't for like a last-minute intervention by him, like last-minute, you know, oh, Christ, I need to carry on playing this game, Liam Williams would have scored, which is the most amazing worst of both worlds there, which is give away the yellow card, potentially put yourself at risk at a penalty try, but let William Williams score anyway just to guarantee it.
2: <laughs> well, Marchant was actually guilty of that. I think it was Marchant. <laughs> Marchant did actually stop playing. Oh. Uh, when when Williams picked the ball up, he was the next man to. The and was it was it Marchant who
1: just stayed as one of it. I just remember it, in my mind someone just stayed still. Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain it was Marchant. Just basically stopped playing. What a disaster that was! I mean, that was just that was
2: <laughs> but, awesome. But yeah, it was uh, the different variety. I thought the Arendelle one was stupid, um, but. Um, the Farrell one. Let's get let's get into the Farrell one finally. So
1: I'll lead off because I'll let Tim have the last word because we know we know he's a Farrell fan. So it's only fair. But in my mind, like, look, Owen Farrell does some adequate things with you know, like he is the man for the pressure situation with the ball in hand. I, I can't argue with his tactical kicking or his. Uh, place kicking, always distribution. Really, I think they're all adequate. I think I'm not sure he's world class, but you know they're, they're they're adequate to good. They're they're serviceable on the world stage. That's what I'd say. But when it comes to defence, and when it comes to high pressure situations, he loses it completely. And this is such a problem. He can tackle. We know he can tackle, but sometimes when he's trying that little bit extra too hard, England were down to what twelve men at the time. You know, this is uh, him now. No, Thirteen men. Sorry, he was a 12th man, right? 13 men. And here he is. He's trying to do the whole leadership thing. That's what... He's trying to put in the big hit, turn the game. He's not capable of it. This is a huge mental frailty that he has. I've said this for the longest time. It's Saracens. His biggest ally, stopping getting into trouble, was Brad Barrett. Because Brad Barrett took so much defensive load off him. He didn't need to be that defensive fulcrum. But sometimes he feels that he has to be. And when he's played at 12 for England... He has missed a lot of tackles by flying up and saying, oh, it's a defensive system. Yeah, well, Brad Barrett didn't do it. Um, He's had high shots on um, Charlie Atkinson. Uh, He's now done it to Tane Basham. Four red cards
0: in his career is just the facts.
1: No, no, because one of them wasn't a red card, and he still went high on... um...
0: No, I've just said four red cards in his career.
1: Four red cards. I mean, that's quite a lot, isn't it? And he's a leader, too so like i just yeah
0: don't... i suppose it is, i suppose it is quite a lot but it's quite a lot for, for a fly-off for, 40, for 14 years for a fly-off that is quite a lot it's more than it's more than it's more than most but yeah four four red cards in 14 years and, and tackle school about 400 games
1: and don't and don't forget the one but these are like some of the most high pressure games that a player can have how,
0: how many international level how many red cards at international level is it was that his first one or is it two now?
1: Uh, it might be two, but you in, also... In, in, 100,
0: in 105 games. Is that his I, I first one or his second one? I'm I think not sure. it's his
2: first one.
0: But, I think uh, it might be his, his first. I think, that was, I think that was his first red card. Yeah, I'm just, just getting the facts. Just making sure we got the facts. I think that was his first red card in 105
1: caps. Okay, how many red cards has um, George Ford had? I, I don't know. I was just... How many, I'm, how many I'm, red cards am I'm, I'm,
0: is... I'm, 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 I'm only... I'm only yeah, no, but but what are the facts? I mean, what
1: are the comparative facts then? I mean like what how many red cards is I don't know Um, it'll be one
0: more it'll be one more than many uh, fly halves it'll be equal to others and it'll be fewer than
1: others I reckon like his closest I'm not joking now I think the the guy closest to Owen Farrell in terms of fly half discipline is Butch James I mean that is your closest comparison and you're forgetting as well... well um, I, 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 I'm,
0: not, I'm not denying S- or... or, or the hit on Esther should, should, should one, have been One a red card in 105 caps. I'm not putting any value judgment on that. I'm just, I'm just using facts.
1: Yeah, so the fact is, he's probably the equivalent defensively to Butch James. Now, I mean, Butch James is a mighty fine player and I liked watching him play. Simply the fact that, that like, that's who he was. So, I, you know, I, I do I think mean, that the Owen Farrell time... It's probably Freddie,
0: Freddie, Freddie Stewart's had uh, at least one red card in, what, about 20 matches. God, he must be really dirty.
1: What, a fly-half?
0: Freddie Stewart? No, he's a, Freddie Stewart plays fullback.
1: But... Oh, right, okay. Well, who were the comparative fly-halves, then? Butch James? Okay. Are, can you think of any others? Any others? I don't, I don't have a list of fly-halves red cards in front of me. Oh, right, okay. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think. I mean, surely some of them have been red-carded for something, but never probably, so but Probably
0: more comparable would be inside centres who've had red cards, because Owen Farrell was playing 12 at the time and has played more of his England career with a 12 on his back than a 10 on his back.
1: Yeah, I guess so. So let's compare... Brian Lima, I, I, maybe? Yeah, it'd be interesting. Owen be interesting Farrell, to know Brian Lima, Butch James.
0: be interesting to know what the comparative facts are. And I'm only talking facts. I'm making, again, no value judgment, just,
1: just putting facts out there. Well, I, I think the value judgment has to be, I think his attitude or his consistent... Mistake making when the pressure comes on means he's not suitable for captain. I, I really mean that. And you know that last ten minutes when George Ford really turned uh, t- turned England around should be a massive red flag. I mean, I think both we could do very well now just to turn to George Ford and say, look, Owen's not going to be around for four weeks because he's careless. It's all yours, and Owen has and, to earn his way back.
0: And in the in the New Zealand game when England also had to. Just rip up Borthwick's script and play with the freedom which we saw in the last ten minutes yesterday uh, was was he was ten at that time? I
1: don't know. Owen Farrell. It, Look, no one's doubting Owen Farrell is good. Good with ball and hand. No,
0: no, no. It, yeah, it was. Or uh, was it? Was it? I think was it Farrell or was it Smith and Farrell? I can't remember. Point being, I don't think it matters. That this is okay. We can it talk does about the red. It, a, it, it does it matter. A, it, it was a red card. Whether it was his first red card at international level, which I believe it was. It may have been his second. one. I don't know.
2: It, but, was, it, was, it was his first red card. He had two yellow cards as well. In okay. international level. You know,
0: so, so, so it's his first red card international level. That's a fact. It was a red card. It is going to cost him. But I guess uh, beyond that, all I would say on this is the conversation about who wears 10 for England. We did it to death with Marcus Smith for about 18 months before people finally shut up about that. After Marcus Smith had 20 England caps and wasn't as good as Owen Farrell. He's Marcus Smith doesn't play the game that Steve Borthwick wants him to play. So if you want Marcus Smith, you've got to play a different game. I'm not saying yes. I'm not picking one over the other. My point, the only point I'm making here is who wears ten on their back and the relative merits of each is completely a pointless conversation to have. They're all brilliant. I don't ca- I don't actually care who wears ten. I think Owen Farrell is the best ten in England for what it's worth. Um, he 's going to miss out i 'm perfectly happy that george ford 's going to wear ten i wouldn 't mind if Marcus Smith did The problems are way bigger than who is wearing ten and no. the the honestly the the comments about Owen Farrell in the last twenty four hours I thought we 'd left this behind. I well, honestly did no, I thought so, people pe- people got what they wanted and saw Marcus Smith. they got what they wanted and saw Marcus Smith and he didn 't do anything and People sort of had to retreat back back into their shell and stop making all these comments about Owen Farrell. And this red card has just brought them all out again.
1: It's it's so boring. Yeah, but it's not, is it? So, I mean, there's so many issues around... First of all, the sort of God God complex about Owen Farrell, I think, does hold England back. So even Borthwick, when he first showed up, was like, oh, I do have my captain. It's definitely Owen Farrell. Well, just delay your judgment, right? Just let's see what what they do in the shirt first. Second of all, like... It's because they of this continual worship of Owen Farrell. You could point to the fact that not enough centres have got get game time. It could be. I mean, that's not Owen Farrell's why fault. Are you, why, are you Owen Farrell's,
0: why are you? saying worship? Why are you saying worship? Why are you saying things like arrogance? You're you're, you're loading is? a load. You're, you're imputing imputing a load of motive. You're putting a, a load of stuff. You're, you're you're guessing a load of attitudes and thoughts and feelings about stuff which you don't know to be true. If you just deal in the
1: facts well then if you deal in the facts I mean we can talk about yardage made or stuff but it's not gonna be much of a podcast is it okay. is it is that what you wanna do like isn't the whole point of rugby like the like like the leadership and the and the, and the passion and how people deal with pressure oh, right. I mean how so do you, you tangibly say well, how, how does a guy you, uh, deal
0: with pressure okay. well, I mean, how about you state it as your opinion
1: rather than saying well what else is it is I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an opinion maker on a podcast I'm an opinion maker I'm not a statistician, so you know. Based on that, you know, if you look at things which we've already brought up, like the discipline, well, he's like the cultural leader. You know, if you look at the things like you know how you play the game and the turgid attack, well, I can't imagine Finn Russell leading this leading this England team in that same style. I can't imagine any team with Finn Russell playing in it. Ultimately, when you're a fly half and you're leading a team,
0: Smith played for England. What happened when Marcus Smith was ten under Steve Borthwick?
1: He just wasn't good enough. Freddie Jones. He just wasn't good enough. I I think is what it comes down to.
0: I mean, he was okay.
1: But he he looks pretty awesome for Quinns,
0: doesn't he? Owen Farrell looks pretty amazing for Saracens. Great for the Lions.
1: But, you know, at the very, very highest level, maybe these guys aren't as world-class as you think, Tim. So when you're saying things like, it doesn't matter which fly-half we pick, maybe it really does, because maybe both of them are not just as good as we think. So we had an email this week, and this email was something along the lines of um, is it f- maybe we have an overestimated England because a lot of them play in the Premiership and a lot of the Premiership games like 34-46 I, I totally agree with and that I think there could you, be something in that sorry it.
0: we should we should let Phil in I think you can I think that's a great point and there yeah. you go that's a much bigger point than any individual the you track the quality of the premiership and we, we love the premiership yep. and I've, I've worked in the premiership and we, we, we really enjoy it. But if we stand back and be cold, the quality of the premiership has dipped probably since Saracen's got relegated 100%. and then various issues since. Yep. But since that, since that moment, you can directly track the quality of the premiership, their success in Europe and England's national team. They're on the lines. The curves are almost identical. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it, that's a great point, that's a great point. I, but I guess it does go to the point that maybe you know, they're not all excellent. Maybe we perceive them to be excellent because they're playing at, you know, like Saracens are the strongest team in in, in, in the Premiership. George Ford won a, a title with with Leicester. I mean, I think out of all of them, George Ford has to be the guy to lead them now. I, I just think that is that has to be the case.
2: So the in the Premiership, it's an interesting point, and I, I definitely agree that the quality of the Premiership is falling. When... Uh, the English Premiership won, was it four out of six Champions Cups? So Saracens won three, and Exeter won one in a, in six years. It was Farrell it, as the the guy steering Saracens at the time. Um, now, I I think Farrell is an ame- I think he's an excellent player. I think he's an excellent centre and an excellent ten. Um, and um, probably up until now. Um, and maybe even still now, if he's fit and available, I would probably have him starting for for England. However, there is now the bigger concerns raised for me um, with those high tackles because I've seen him do it before uh, in the league. I've seen him do it and get away with it, like the Andre Esther Hazen hit a few years ago, which could have cost England. Uh, the game against South Africa, but they end up winning, which was a marginal call. But I think nine times out of ten, that now gets given as a yeah. as a red card. Um, but he is also, like JB, you made the point about him being in the pressure cooker and um, failing. I mean, he's repeatedly succeeded um, in the pressure cooker. Yeah, but he does have this. Uh, um, you, I want to be very clear on issue. that
1: on, on that pressure cooker cook thing there are some situations where he handles it brilliantly, which is why he gets the benefit of the doubt so much. And you know, 95% of the time, it is him with ball in hand and kicking sticks and kicking the corners and doing marvellous things. And we people go, yeah, it's great. But those few times where his head just goes, particularly in D, that is a real, I'm, real tangible problem.
2: I'm not I'm not even sure if his head just goes in D. I think it is just a, ta- a, a tackle technique <laughs> failure. It's tackle school for that. Like- Say again, you not just go to tackle school for that. <laughs> it depends what what happens when you've already graduated tackle school.
0: I do not tackle know. university. Tackle university. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be a PhD in tackling.
2: <laughs> oh, the rich irony. So, yeah, I'm, I think it is just a flaw in his technique. Now, I w- what I do agree with Tim is is your point that as an England fan. I don't actually think it matters that much whether it's Farrell or Ford. Um, I do think there's a difference. There's a drop off to Marcus Smith uh, probably uh, more pertinently because of the way that England are playing or Borthwick is wanting England to play. If it was England kind of let rip last 10 minute mentality, then Marcus Smith is probably a guy, Um, but England aren't going to play like that. So I'm, I am comfortable with it being George Ford. And actually, as an England fan and someone who probably thinks Farrell is, and certainly for the longest time has thought Farrell is the first choice 10, I wouldn't actually mind him being out of the tournament now. Because at least then you get some closure. and Clarity.
1: Yeah, yeah, clarity. This is where I was going to go next. I think it's a blessing in disguise. Because I completely back what I'm saying about the arrogance of the England squad, how they feel like they're ordained to win and they don't need to work too hard until they realise, Christ, we actually do need to work now. Getting rid of the captain. Um, whether he deserves it or not, and giving it over to, to George Ford and just making that making them a little bit more uncertain, I think that's going to be a good thing. It can't be a bad thing.
0: Do you know one of the, the things I most regret about the red card is that we didn't get 20 minutes of Ford Farrell? Because for no, the I'm, I'm, we... no, I'm
1: good for it. I'm absolutely good for it. I think it's been holding England back. This is what I'm saying. Like, what, I think this... What, that... They go haven't on.
0: done it in about three years. Yeah, don't do it again. Cup, since 2019, leave it when they it's got gone. when they got to a World Cup final, won a Grand Slam, three yeah, Six Nations.
1: Yeah, just go and go and get go and get the next guy. Give someone else. Give someone else an, I'm, I, an opportunity. I'm not saying
0: I want it as my first choice tactic. Yeah, I do. Th- uh, but as I've been saying, but I, I think there's. I think there may have been some life in it at times in games, and certainly when you look at the. Just listen to the, how this. The, the the dick fingers some of the, <laughs> the some of the backline have when they play. You just wonder whether actually just get two really good rugby players on the field and let them pull the strings but and you... get Arundel daily in space. So again, I, I don't mind if, if George Ford is the ten permanently, and uh, Owen Farrell gets a, say he gets a sick misses all the pool games, and it's not worth taking him to the World Cup. No, I would not, feel sorry for him. It would be a shame that his that his World Cup career with England would end in such a way, but. I wouldn't mind just to go in. People think I'm. People may confuse me as being some kind of Owen Farrell Zeller. I'm not. I respect what he has done and what he does do. I just, I just think that, that, I think making too big a comment on him in this context is irrelevant. And I could just go back to what I said earlier in the podcast, where it's like it England look good when they when they don't do what Steve Borthwick
1: tells them to do. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I would I would just retort with this: like every time England look at the comments around last week's defeat well don't worry Owen, uh, Owen's back next um, not Owen per, per se but look at the players that we're bringing back well just to get rid of the leader so everyone's like right well no one's coming to save you now, boys you're going to have to actually work really really hard I don't think that's a bad thing uh, and you know the fact that they carry on going back to Ford and Farrell when they've got so much talent I mean I know you're going to say who is it who is it who is it but you'd well, say the well, thing okay, about well, Wales right you could say the same thing, thing about Wales well who is well, exactly that?
0: You, now you're making my point for me it's not personnel it's not personnel. Well, it is personnel you've ju- in this you've case. Just
1: made, you've just
0: made my point. It's no, not personnel. No, but it, it doesn't is, matter.
1: It is personnel in in this case, because they keep going back to the same personnel and not letting other personnel develop. So I guess you'll... I mean, I guess well, we, Ollie you, Lawrence
0: and Joe March at the centres. What are you talking about? Henry Arundel on the wing. Elliot Daly back in the side. Freddie Stewart wasn't there at the last World Cup. Jack Van Portfleet at nine. What are you talking about?
1: Well, look, these, these, these are relatively re- recent developments. I mean, we have spoken ad nauseum about England's 12-12 situation. So it's not as if they've had that sorted. And one of the reasons is they just carry on going back to Ford and Farrell and not letting people play and develop. Now they now they have to, and I think it's a, it's a positive that's, thing. That's the first time Steve Borthwick played any minutes with Ford and Farrell. Yeah, but this has been going... I mean, this is not a Steve Borthwick thing, to be fair to him. This has been going on for absolutely ages. This has been going on since the start of, the start of Eddie Jones. Ed, Eddie Jones dabbled with Ford and Farrell at... No. Ten, twelve. I mean, I think it might have happened before I that as I, well. I, actually. I,
0: I, hate, I hated winning grand slams and getting to World Cup finals. It really,
1: yeah. And that's when I'm, they were playing like young, hungry. You uh, know, uh, sorry, hung, hungry, uh, hungry young men. And I didn't see that this weekend. So hand the team over. So, I think we've probably
2: touched yeah. on England too much. Yeah. Um, and we not talking about Wales that much, other than the the skinny squad and the um, a couple of players? But it's there's probably more positivity about this Wales team than I perhaps think there should be. Now I, I just want to caveat that because I think the what you said before, JB, or I think Cocky, you said this as well about Gatland um, turning this Wales team or getting to do the basics incredibly well, the basics in defence and doing it without Sean Edwards. Um, I think is is remarkable because I do think the defense on this worlds team is excellent in both games i mean they they've stopped England for well England one try in the two games, and that was a pushover um but I just i don't I'm not sure I see enough other stuff and like we mentioned before about the the dreadful truly dreadful line out, but it took um in this game, it took England being down to twelve men for Wales to do anything with ball in hand, uh, anything at all. But the, the two, the, the try, one try came when England were a man down, which was a crossfield kick. The other try, which came when there were three men down, um, which was the breakout from Kieran Williams, yeah, and the pass back inside. But they really didn't do much else with ball in hand. They, I thought they were blunt and. That, combined with uh, the phrase Gatlin used, was he was furious that they didn't close out this game being against uh, a 12-man team um, and a, a team that finished with 14. Um, I, I think there should be perhaps more negativity about this Welsh team than there has. Yeah, I
1: like, think.
2: What do you think about that?
1: I think it's all about relative perspective. So I thought Wales were done as a, maybe, maybe as a rugby nation uh, over the six nations thought this is it like um Pivok had gone uh, he had basically milked every last bit of life out of the older uh, squad members alan jones tipper uh, 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 had left there's been absolute carnage at the regions they bought back gatland and it never works when you go back to an ex everyone knows that and i didn't think that there's anything good going to happen. Gatland's Six Nations performance was very poor, very very poor, and it looked like he had all the made it, all the excuses in the world lined up not for it, for, it, for it not to improve. So if you go from that position, which is one of the, well the worst home nations team, not by a little bit either, but by a lot, then you start to think bloody hell a two a two point loss at Twickenham and a win at home against England. So uh, you know with England it's different because I think the hopes for this England team are so much higher. I mean, they are, they are much higher. Uh, so I I agree with you in the sense that they didn't do much, which really impressed me. But the fact they were still in it in, like, impressed me in of itself. <coughs> and the fact the, yes, the attitude um, that they've um, shown, like just the, the unearthing of talent, I think by the time that this team gets to the World Cup, I think two teams for me are going to be outstanding in terms of how much they can squeeze out the talent available to them. From what I've seen, that'll be Scotland, and that'll be this this Welsh team. Because I don't know how well they'll do, I don't know how much they'll win, but I guarantee they'll squeeze every ounce of talent. How's that squad? Well,
0: I think that's fair. And Phil mentioned the South Africa game in the last World Cup, and that's what Warren Gatland teams do. They're always in the fight, and yeah. they, they were they were again in this one and should have won it. I also see the point Phil's making because if you watch the first fifteen minutes again, and I'm not wanting to. Flip this round onto uh, onto England. I'm actually trying to make the the point about Wales. I think they 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 should conceivably have been 21 points down after 15 minutes because there was the there was the kick to the right hand corner from Farrell. Marchant almost scored very very close. To that there was a line out on Wales's line when England just balls up the mall and ended up taking three points. And then they again in Wales's 22, just a, a real dick finger knock on and just didn't convert the dominance and they could legitimately have been 12-15 maybe even 21 points up and wales r- rode their luck yeah. but they come up against a team which do finish and hopefully in a world cup quarter final <clears> when england when england there's a very good chance england if both teams make it out of their pool play wales uh then I I expect England to be in a better place and take those chances. But what? then again, Wales are going to be improved as well. So I,
1: I will just say that well, the England desire for pitched, for, pitched ba- for pitched battles, which is what they want to do. I, I think we all agree on that. Like they want to get into the right parts of the field and then beat you up, which is great, and I'm all for that. I genuinely am. But I, it does play very well into Wales' hands. I think they would get murdered against the All Blacks. So, yeah, I'm basically mm. agreeing with everything you said there, too. They would get murdered. Ooh.
2: Wales would, definitely, like, Wales would definitely get murdered against the All Blacks. Yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm, after this week, uh, I am worried about Wales getting out of their pool. I, like, honestly.
1: Yeah. I, I would, really,
2: wow. Re, really, I, I really am. I really am. I, like, having no line out is a problem. Having a stop-start like, scrum. You can fix the line out.
1: I mean, To me, it, it's not much of a problem not to have a line-out in a warm-up game. And, and surely,
0: at, it, like in terms of organisational line-outs, that's, that's nothing Fiji have been particularly ever known for.
1: This is true. Although, I do worry... Uh, or oh, worry. Worry's not the right word. I do wonder about the new, improved Pacific Island teams. Fiji aren't one of these, but some of the expertise that they're getting back from either Australia or New Zealand who have like absolutely cutting edge experience of the highest level and instituting that into their line out drills and their scrimmaging drills, they're gonna be frightening. They're gonna be frightened for the first time. Well not the first time, but they're gonna have that additional edge of all of that knowledge coming back to those squads.
2: Well, it's also so Fiji haven't got this that same talent coming back from X or Blacks or Aussies, but they've got a team so about half of their squad or thirty percent of their squad comes from the Fiji Drura who are playing in um super rugby and got some handy wins including winning against the crusaders yeah, so it's not like that they it's not like these guys are uh, a bunch of first timers and newbies they, well, it's different be- uh, Crusaders are a very very good team, but it is different beating the Crusaders from playing an international team. But right. I just think the fact that they've got to play Australia, and we should talk about the Australia um, squad after we've talked about Scotland-France. So they've got to play Australia, who will be very difficult. They've then got two totally different threats because they play Georgia, who will get that line out and scr- like, if if you're worried about a weak line-out or a potentially weak scrummage, like, <laughs> you don't want to be in Georgia. No, you do not. And, and if if... So they've got to overcome that threat and then the totally different threat of Fiji. Because Fiji will provide a different threat. I think and Fiji's the one.
1: Threat. And I'm not worried about George, but I know what you're saying. I do worry about Fiji. Because, you know, if you're struggling in the scrum, but you can still make it a dog fight. okay, fine. But if you're getting absolutely panned by points being leaked everywhere, then that's a problem. And I think you could see a repeat of, is it 2007? 2007. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. we could ease uh, hey, so.
0: I, 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 call, I called it a few weeks ago. I said this feels like uh, an 07 reboot. And I'm I'm hoping I'm absolutely hoping I'm right and we fluke our way to a final.
2: Well, it, it could against Georgia feel like 2022 when Georgia beat Wales in the on their own, the print, on in their the own patch. Yeah. Did yeah. that happen?
1: Yeah. How, how do I not remember that? I should remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Less less than 12 months ago. Oh dear! Oh dear! So, yeah.
1: um, so
0: we're contactedchasers at gmail dot com uh, on email um, patreon dot com slash eggchasers for more uh, spicy content. I, I feel like with with all the the negativity surrounding both the teams
1: we've been talking about. I'm very positive on, on, on Wales. There's only film that's that's not. Yeah, yeah. But we we should talk about. I'm very, very how, positive on Owen Farrell not not playing. <laughs>
2: huh.
0: Well, unfortunately, I, I I kind of fear that. Uh, uh, what, what I sensed on Saturday evening just when you have a little scan of social media and stuff, what what really concerned me the most and it, again in WhatsApp groups which some of them were very intense but others that I expected to be busy were desolate places and I just got a real sense of apathy for rugby uh, which is all the more of a shame if people gave up on the, the Amazon rugby coverage during the England-Wales game they missed an absolute cracker oh, what in, a Santa, in belter.
1: France is where it's at boys I'm telling you now France is where it is at Everything about French rugby at the moment Is complete and utter showbiz I love it Um, Before we go on to this There's something which a friend of mine pointed out So we're watching the game And they pointed out A non-rugby playing friend They said "Um, Isn't it good That you can hear the refs talk And I thought "Well, Okay that's interesting Because they come from a football background And then I thought about what the ref said, and I think I've I think I've come up with a way to improve the game. So, do you know? So, I'll give you an example of what I'm about to say. The referee had a penalty, and I wasn't actually paying attention at the time, but I heard the ref saying that penalty is for coming up around the side. So, coming up around the side. What is your what is your thoughts on what that penalty should would be for? I'm sure you'll get it, but still, is that is that on a rolling mall? Well, I don't know because I wasn't paying attention. I just heard coming up around the side. I, I would assume
2: that's a rolling mall Yeah. The defender um, kind of looping to the back man, Lose,
1: losing yeah. their bind. Losing their the bind back. and, yeah. Yeah, Quite. that's exactly what it was, right? But because I wasn't paying attention, all I heard is um, coming up around the side. My friend asked me, like, well, what was, like, what like, what's that for? I said, well, coming from the side. So I really had to think about it. So I think there should be standards now in the same way the standards for referees communicating with their hand signals, for how they communicate mm-hmm. with the crowd. So it's not good enough to say... coming Because referees talk on their mic as if they're talking to the players, when actually I think they need to be communicating to the fans, and particularly the fans that don't necessarily understand the game. The standard language should be, that penalty is for coming up the side round a mall and breaking your bind, or a form of language that as a viewer you can instantly get. And the NFL do this. So the the referee gets on the mic and explain explains the decision with standard language. So I
2: I had a similar thought watching this game. Um a totally different scenario. But it was Nick Berry yeah, was. as the ref, wasn't it? And Rory jo- Rory Darge got penalised about less than ten minutes ago in the first half, so after thirty thirty five minutes. In his own twenty two and the language that Nick Berry used was, you went too long. Yes, so it, that's it, the other one. Great, great it spot. Was, it, was, uh, it was trying to affect the jackal. Yeah. He was, was trying to jackal the ball. Uh, and Nick Berry's language was, you went too long. And I tended to disagree both in terms of what I'd seen, but also as uh, it was Johnny Barkley, t- Tim, your mate, um in comms, making the point that. Like, Rory judge has got a very strong lower body and very low centre of gravity. Like, he can go he can go long. The point is not whether he goes long or not. The point is whether he's supporting his, his body, body weight. weight yeah. And it, it was a, I think it was probably clumsy language from Nick Berry, but that, that should be, whether you're but, long or not is irrelevant. Are you able to, are you capable of supporting your body weight in that position?
1: I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's not clumsy language. It's very insular language. He's talking to experts in the field. And yeah, you know, I when you say going long, what we know immediately after twenty five years of rug well, not not even immediately. I'd have, if you didn't if I hadn't <coughs> seen that incident and you said, what does this mean going long? I think bloody hell, I was it was it a secondary movement after a ruck was formed and then he went long with his body? Like what? Like what is it? But then, you know, if you've played the game for a long, a long time, oh, go, going long it means he's dra- affecting the jackal, can't support his own body weight. He's talking to the players in their language. He needs to be talking to the crowd. It's like it's like you language. with
0: your uh, with your financial advisor friends. You'll stand around going, "Yeah, I'm an IFA. Let's talk about Johnny Sip." And uh, <laughs> yeah, anyone who yeah. was just eavesdropping on that conversation would have a clue what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, Co. Independent Financial advisors In case anyone's interested, but yeah, that's exactly it. You got to sort. You got to speak to your audience. You can't be speaking like to an industry insider.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point with the, with the World Cup right there and particularly with uh with people of different, different nationalities. What I will say just while we're on the refereeing point and with the World Cup in mind is that Nick Berry was loose as you like at the breakdown.
1: Well, that's My it. that, is their, that is their job to work it out I'm afraid.
0: No, no, 100%. I I that that I guess my only point here is that, the the variation between referees and particularly between North and Southern Hemisphere referees can vary wildly, and the team which manages that the best is going to go a long way in a World Cup because I I do think referees a World Rugby at World Cups they always tone back on on some of the decision making things like some of the things which you would gone a couple of months ago it would be a red card suddenly at a World Cup they're giving yellows yeah. but I do think at this World Cup more than any other the referees are going to have a massive impact on games and managing that is going to be huge and in this game I thought the number of times Jamie Ritchie was getting neck rolled and I was like what? he's just letting that go that's because his neck he's is wild. so long
1: what else do you wild. hate on Jamie Ritchie? <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point yeah. so uh, just but, on yeah. Jamie Ritchie um, some of his turnovers I, I think right, do you think- Maybe this is going too far, right? But I remember when George Smith first w- won a turnover. not first won a turnover, but like it first became noticeable because he did 25 of them in the f- in one game for the Brumbies, and no one could do anything about it. I, something which Jamie Ritchie did, and I think he did did it twice. Is he rips the ball so quick? He's not trying to win the penalty, like a lot of players do. So a lot of players jackle that ball and they try and win the penalty. I know you meant to make an attempt to rip it, but it's very token. Usually they're there to win the penalty. He is so quick to the floor to rip that ball. It is remarkable to see.
2: Yeah, and that, that, um, like you say, Tim, Nick Berry was pretty fast and loose. Um, And so it it made it an exciting game. It made it interesting to watch. And it was one hell of a game to watch.
1: Wasn't it just? Wasn't it just? Uh, France are outstanding. Well, no. France, have outstanding France,
0: were incre- France were unplayable, incredible for five minutes and that's all it took to ultimately win the game.
1: Well, this is it. Yeah. So yes, I mean, Scotland can be very proud of that. They are getting a lot out of that pack because it is not in, it's not, it, it shouldn't even be considered in the, you know, in the same continent as the French pack. Like they are just miles away, miles and miles away, but they are competitive, which is frankly incredible. Um, they're squeezing every ounce of talent out out, out 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 that Scotland team, and I think it is. I've, I think what they're doing there is really promising for the World Cup. Really promising. I I, I tend to
2: agree with the caveat that they've got quite a hard group.
0: They've, that first yeah. game against South Africa is just massive.
2: It's South Africa and Ireland. I tell you what, um, though, as a warm-up, France is pretty good, though. France France is a great team. Particularly considering you're
1: gonna see South Africa.
2: Well for both I think for both of those teams, France is a good warm-up. Yeah. France um and I so I was negative on Wales. I think they're likely to get out of the group, but I'm just I'm less convinced. I was previously convinced they would get out of their group. Scotland, I was previously convinced that they will not get out of their group. I'm. I've, I've softened on that. I think they could, on the right day, if things go their way, with a bit of magic, they could beat one of South Africa or Ireland.
1: Well, there's an old Joe Rogan quote, which is, "How do you make a black belt into a brown belt in the UFC by punching him in the nose?" Uh, and you know, the ability of Scotland to punch people in the nose is very impressive.
2: It's the, and this is this is a fundamental difference between these two teams. And England and Wales, Finn Russell. These two, uh, well, both of these teams can—they've got the personnel, both creatively and athletically, or the combination of them together—that they can score a try from anywhere. Like those, those two French tries sh- straight after half time. That,
0: that Olivon try. Good my lord, goodness me. That was oh, special, just... wasn't it? But equally, the. Um,
2: the two Kyle Steen tries, the try, the Hugh Jones slicing through the French defence, which led to I can't remember if that was the Duan or the second Franz, uh, uh, sorry Kyle Steen, not Fran Steen, the second Kyle Steen try, but Scotland can do it as well. Scotland can cut people open, and th- there is perhaps an argument to say, well, England and Wales's defence was so good they nullified each other's attack.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> but
2: but I just don't believe that. I don't believe that because. France and Scotland have good defenses, and they uh, just cut each other open. Wales and
1: England's at attack nullified Wales and England's attack. Yes, mm. that's what I. That's more of what I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, and, and on, there was one moment in the game, and I, this was in stark contrast. I think it was in the, I think it was in the first half, and Scotland France defense came up and absolutely mullered one of one of Scotland's players. I can't remember who, and the ball and, and the Scottish player as he was getting munched just flung the ball backwards. And on his own 10-metre line, Blair Kinghorn picked up the ball and had most of his teammates... Blair Kinghorn! Thank you. (laughs) Had had most of his teammates in front of him had just picked up a spilled ball with a French defence lining him up. And 10 times out of 10, had that happened in the game earlier, Boot would have gone to ball. Blair Kinghorn just wanged the ball left to Chris Harris, who then jinked and and made a break. Chris Harris,
1: uh, Hugh Jones...
0: Sorry, Hugh Jones, yeah. beg your pardon.
1: That's mm. it. Don't,
0: need, don't even need Chris Harris. Hugh Jones uh, jinked and, and made a break. And uh, it was just, I was like that. Having just watched England Wales, like, that would never, ever have happened. And the same goes with that Olive on try. It was a kick that was just a little bit too deep. But the, so the first instinct of DuPont was, right, we're going to have you. And Ramos, my God, that guy's got wheels. He's incredible.
1: Um, I mean, but so many of them are just so special. So they turn it on for a they're Especially in just tiny, tiny fra- uh, fractions of a second, like the way that Pernod ghosts past the fr- the Scotland defence. I know he only has to work in like five meters of space. It's a two two-on-two, but he's just so awesome. He's just. But I guess. So I, I guess the, the bigger point, just to bring it all together, is that's just
0: mindset. Like, like, like you could you could play. I think you could if if you took those that same Scotland fifteen, or the French fifteen, and tried to get them to play to the T Steve Borthwick's plan Mm -hmm. I think they would probably in some cases they would do it better they might have better overall individual players I don't think they'd listen Uh, do you really think they would do it more effectively but equally I think if you took the same players and just just played the same mindset that you would see so much more from from England and Wales so particularly
1: England I'm going to have I think Scotland in particular it is they have been in a long-standing feud Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend, it's kind of like having a manager you can't sack coaching, you know, Ronaldo in his prime. Like, you can't get rid of the best player and you can't get rid of the best manager. You two are going to have to sort of compromise and and get on with it now. Certainly there have been times, I'm certain, that uh, Gregor Townsend has wanted to move on from Finn Russell so he can play the game that he thinks is most appropriate. And Finn Russell just plays the game that he thinks is most appropriate. And I think the... The epitome of this was the thirty-four all draw. Was it thirty-four?
0: Thirty-seven all.
1: Oh, what a game that was! But but well, I just from, the, every, everything played?
0: you hear from everything you hear from people close to the Scotland camp, including Stuart Hogg in the Rugby Paper today, was basically saying that Gregor Townsend who is the one who has compromised on that, and is just exactly. actually.
1: Yeah. Do you know what? It's your team. Yeah, well, well, well it's his team. If 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 Gregor if Gregor's basically said this, if I can keep my job. You can have the team. Keep me keep me employed and then you can carry on with whatever you want, Finn. because he has to. You know, it's it's about being an adult. Like you you, you have to understand that Finn Russell understands the game better better than you do. Do you just ask, and then that's the end of it. F- Finn has allowed Gregor to do
2: some work on the scrums and yeah, yeah. work on the line outs to give him slightly better ball. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can imagine the situation where Gregor Townsend's telling um, telling Hugh Jones to stand a bit stand stand like a bit deeper or something and greg and um finn will say excuse me gregor what now <laughs> just shoo him off no there's um, no choice Why that is finn russell's team i've been i've been so
2: impressed like obviously the french team we talk about them all the time and it goes without saying how um, how many game changes they have i've been really impressed with how many of this scotland team are just difficult and disruptive to play against yeah, like um, Blair Kinghorn, Kyle Stain, Hugh Jones, Dewan, Finn, and Jack Dempsey. I thought was Jack Dempsey was an absolute nightmare to play against in this game. He had a really, really good game against a massive pack, and he was he was the main carrier for that Scotland pack. He made a lot of heavy yards and, and just kept doing it. He was excellent.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. They are niggly. Like they they do play to their strengths. Like Jamie Ritchie is. If you're going to pick a world back row right now, he's not in it. But he does do some really cool things con- consistently. Um, and a lot of them do that. They sort of play to their strengths, and you know there there is something, something to be said for it.
0: Yeah.
2: So
1: um, I
0: think we'd well, just, all just agree on that... just on that back row. Sorry, it's, it's mm, worth pointing yeah, out no. that um, Hay- Hamish Watson looks. He's probably not going to start the South Africa game. As it stands, which we would never have believed a couple of years mm. ago, but that that says partly, yeah, the decline of the of uh, the mish, but also the development of players like Jack Dempsey, as, well, you, as you point out. Phil. When
1: when you get addicted to players like England and Farrell, for instance, right? But I'll give you a better example than this. Um, Ireland were absolutely hooked on their gold, golden generation, and it wasn't until they got rid of them all that they actually became really world class. Uh, sounds harsh, but that's exactly what happened. I think a similar thing is happening to Scotland when they. They dished, they couldn't move on from Stuart Hogg. They just thought Stuart Stuart Hogg was brilliant. and if he was still playing for you know whatever reason he retired, um, he would still be, he would still be selected as probably a, a, a senior player. Now he's out, out of the way. Kinghorn is doing brilliantly, so sometimes yeah. you just need to refresh that squad.
2: Yeah, Kinghorn looks really good. yeah, really he's good. Excellent. And you not so
1: yeah. good. Uh, anyone got anything to say about France because I've got a few thoughts before we move on.
0: Uh, I, Antoine de Pont, Thomas Ramos are good at rugby and Pano. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Pano is very good at rugby and I would also say yeah so there's three guys in the back line there that I think would probably possibly I mean Hugo Keenan at fullback Bowden Barrett at fullback might have something to say about that but those three would probably start uh, well, the I, I think it's amazing me.
1: you mentioned those guys not Gail Ficou who I think is just an animal and yeah, he's, also, yeah, he's great and as well there just, isn't yeah. a weak link
2: I thought Ficou had a, a quiet game but I I love Fiku. I think he's amazing. And he can play twelve thirteen and on the wing. Uh and he's he's deceptively enormous as well. He's, he's a lot everything. bigger than people. He's think. Everything.
1: Um But he, he didn't have, he had a quiet game, I thought. Well the other guy who I'm amazed you've not mentioned is Aldrich. I mean Aldrich just is so important though.
2: Yeah. Aldrit and Olivon were he- awesome.
1: Absolutely awesome. them so good. One of the things that worries me about this French pack is it is Flamont and Wokie the way forward? Because they seem to be sticking with, well, I say seem to be sticking with it. They've used this combination and it just doesn't seem right to me for a French pack. I think they need to bring in one of the bigger boys. Now, I don't know if it's through injury or or, or necessity, but When you get someone slightly bigger, like a Paul Wilhelmzer or whatever, you know, however you say his name, it just allows the carrying to go through him a little bit more, and everyone to be a little bit freer. Uh, I like Bedant. I love Bedant. Actually, Um, yeah. There's so there was there was that. I'm not sure about the second row pairing, and also I worry that this French team switch off too much. Like they're so brilliant in phases and then they go to sleep, and then they wake up again, and then they go to sleep.
2: I I think that's a... The second row point is right, but if Valemza is unfit, which I think he's been struggling a bit, um, he hardly played, he might not have played in the Six Nations, um, then it is a bit of a problem, because he's he's the the one... um, who would have been in that tight headlock yeah. position. And without that you've kind of got this like half loose, half tight um in Flamont and Waukie who's a six slash second row. So maybe they they do lose something there. And it is a it's a classic stereotypical French thing to say about them switching off. But occasionally they do. Like when when uh they're probably seven points up and Hugh Jones ghosts around the outside of, I think it was Jonathan Dante, um, and the 22. That shouldn't be happening there. They had, they had numbers. It, it, there was no real reason for that to happen, but it did happen. And that's in where terms other of, yeah. teams will look at it.
0: Yeah, totally. And in terms of uh, gathering form and sorting out combinations, I agree with you on, on, on the second row. Um He's picking holes in what is, every, everything's looking very good.
1: I mean, so you do people. get a lot out of those two in the line-out, to be fair. Oh, 100%. 100%. Those two 100%. and Oliver in the line-out is a brilliant. joke. That's handy.
0: What? What? Basically, France uh, France have got a brilliant, they've got a similar situation to England, without being disrespectful to Japan and Samoa, who England should beat. They are definitely potential banana skins. But France, really, it's all about the 8th of September, and then it's all about the... 13th of October. Who's first, Who's a big game, Tim? New Zealand. New Zealand. Oh, game crikey. one. Oh, crikey. So you've got New Zealand game one, and then they've got Italy, really, is the only other real match they've got to worry about until the quarterfinals.
1: God, I'd love them to beat New Zealand.
0: So, they, so they're, they're going to have New Zealand, and then three other games, or is it four yeah. other games? Yeah, three other games to just get everything right. So if Paul Willems isn't quite fit... He's got about just short. He's
1: got about two months. Yeah, which is a long time. Yeah. So, um, there were some worrying injuries. I can't remember. Did, does Scotland have any knocks? Uh, uh, Untermac
0: and, uh, f- and Cyril, Cyril Bay and Cyril Bay, and I think I think Jonathan Dante went off, but I don't think any of them are serious. Although Untermaak's face, it, it, you well, if you just looked at his face, you would have thought it's more serious than you think. His beautiful and face.
1: So, so, Cyril Bide didn't look great. Cyril By was one I was more worried about. Carves and props I, difficult.
0: And um, um, and for Scotland it was Duan van der Merwe is the main one.
2: Duan, yeah. Cuz even though like Kyle Steyn and Darcy Graham are both playing great rugby, but Duan he can do things that uh, no one else can do right now. No one on the world stage can do right now. And he's an unusual not,
1: talent, isn't he? A unique talent.
2: He, he's so unique. Because he's so massive and so quick and just so hard to put down.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's it. Uh, is this game covered? Is it? Would you say we've covered it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just a joy, cool. an absolute joy. Well done to both teams. I tell, think. I
1: tell you what, if they can put on a show like that in the opening, I mean, that's what the world. That's what rugby needs. Uh, France and New Zealand opening game, real a real show under lights.
0: Again, it just underlines the point. We've said it many times. People, lots of people have said it, but. It is going to create massive drama, but it's totally unfair the fact that the top five teams are all on the same side of the pool. But equally, for pure drama and stories, the top five teams all being on one side of the draw is amazing because we've got how many brilliant matchups and so much at stake. And on the other side, you've got, as you've already pointed out, Phil, Fiji, Georgia, licking their lips, Samoa, Japan,
1: licking their lips. So uh, do England have Ireland next week? Yes. Yes. The way. Ding Hopefully ding they'll ding. pull up their socks for that one.
2: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1 dot com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Um, World Cup warm-up game. That's ridiculous. Ireland
0: and Fiji. Well, is it though? Because I think they need... Steve Borthwick needs to pick his team and then get them playing well. Even 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 if it costs a couple of injuries, you've got to do it. So this is I'll
1: just just briefly
0: continue my point and say why I think it is needed and then you, you can counter it. Because again, exactly like France, England is all about Argentina and then, all being well without being too disrespectful to Japan and Samoa, it should then be about October the 13th.
1: Mm. So the reason I say it's ridiculous is not the amount of games But the way they've been handled So what was the need for the first team England The first string England team to play Wales And what was the need to announce your squad this week If you've got four games I understand if you've got three games If you've got four games Why not do what Wales did Which is mix up your squad for two games And give guys a legitimate chance
0: I believe it came from the players uh, at the who
1: gives who who
0: cares one jot what? No, they no, think? no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but I'm saying yeah. actually it was the England players that
1: said they wanted the clarity earlier. No, the answer is no. Work hard. You're not here to be comfortable. I mean, the, the whole point, isn't it? You go to a World Cup. You're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be surrounded by uncertainty, and people aren't going to give you what you want. I think it's ludicrous to listen to to, to, to the players, especially these players entitled to him they're in their entitled arrogant bunch
0: yeah well it would it would have been at, at the Steve Balthwick's within his power to say no we're doing it like this so yeah Steve mm. oh Steve oh well
1: oh well um, oh, well you know um, you know what I think
2: uh, I mentioned before the Wallabies squad being announced yes and there was there was well there's a few surprises uh the headline surprises were no coops no hoops and big will as captain
1: i've got some thought i don't know if i can share these thoughts that they're too controversial <laughs> Should I share these thoughts the, uh
0: controversial how i'm i'm wondering how even uh, like uh, even you jb who i know you're happy to call controversy i'm wondering how you can make that controversial okay. what are you
1: Is, what are you thinking you're not uh, you're, uh, are you i uh, Is Hooper fit? So, from what I've read,
2: uh, he's been struggling with a calf injury. They're hoping to get him back for either the World Cup or the final warm-up game.
1: Yeah, so... I mean, I don't know if this has got anything to do with it, but this is why I wouldn't pick the guy. You're going to go into a World Cup and... Okay. You're going to go into a World Cup. It's a a high-pressure situation. Now... Not so long ago, didn't he duck out of travelling with the Wallabies for, I don't know, mental health reasons or, or some such thing? It was something a year ago. He didn't ago. go to Argentina or somewhere?
2: Yeah, there was a... It was a while we... ago.
1: Really, he, you,
0: you should do your research and come with facts for this If you're going to pose a, a theory Rather than getting Phil to do your Google legwork
1: No, no, I just know he didn't I don't know where he didn't go <laughs> yeah, But yeah, he yeah, didn't sure. go He, he just
0: let, let, Let's assume that was the case No, your, what,
1: no, no and he didn't go for those exact reasons Like, yeah. it was about pressure and being away he, um, he, he wasn't injured, he was fit And he just said, no, I don't fancy it Now, I'm all for you doing that, okay I'm all for you doing that But I think so many people are led down the path now by this um, therapeutic culture, which says express your feelings, be kind to yourself, do what feels right for your mental health. And at some point someone's going to say, well, okay, that's very nice that you did that, but we are going away and it is going to be high pressure. And if you couldn't handle that, why can you handle this? And I think that's completely, completely, completely legitimate. Now, I don't know if that's why Eddie Jones didn't pick him, but that's certainly why I wouldn't, why I wouldn't pick him
2: in October 22.
1: That's the one, yeah.
2: Uh actually no, sorry, it's even before then, August 22. That's uh, the one. He um didn't train or travel with the team uh as his mindset was not in the right place to lead the team against Argentina. Yeah. Uh in so he flew out, he was in Mendoza, but he left Mendoza. Now I think there's not much and I don't remember much at the time I remember it kind of happening but I don't remember much at the time there's not much from what I've just done a very quick Google search on uh, about the reasons behind that it could be family it could be health it could be anything so I'd just be cautious to say um, attribute anything to that and it's certainly not from what I've read um, now that's not been one of the reasons The, the main things are he's not been fit
1: yeah well, whichever, I wouldn't be taking
0: him. Like, all I'll say on the Australia squad is Razzie uh, Erasmus and Eddie Jones, they know what they're doing in international rugby and they obviously have glimpsed the future and the future is no fly halves. We're busy arguing over which fly half in England. No fly halves is the, is the, is the answer. Way forward,
1: yeah. that's the way forward. Well, I'm glad they got rid of... Um, I'm not, am I glad? Well, I just think it's weird. The guy keeps on coming back in different in- incarnations and you know the way I said that England are hooked on Farrell, they are kind of hooked on um, Quade Cooper. I, I mean, I've loved the guy for the longest time. I think he's an incredible talent. He's one of the most talented rugby players ever to play the game, actually. Which I, So I can see why it's easy to think, oh, yeah, we've got to carry on going back to him. But I think Eddie Jones has made the right decision. All
0: mm-hmm. I'll say is Eddie Jones always does well at World Cups. Australia always do well at World Cups. And to sort of draw a theme through this entire podcast, that I think the Australian squad... Looks like
1: a team that are going to Play with freedom and have the shackles Taken off a little bit Can we just dwell a second on the Career of Will Skelton I think this should be a real lesson to anyone Playing rugby with talent Which is, talent can get you so far, can't it And this is what happened to Will Skelton Will Skelton had got so far in his career He wasn't playing for the Wallabies When he moved over to Saracens And I think the mind I can't remember how much weight he lost, was it 20 kilograms? I've got no idea But just the rededication of Will Skelton to then leave Saracens, not at the height of his powers, but certainly as an absolute mighty force, go to La La Rochelle, establish himself as so dominant that it might have partly been the reason that uh, Australia have had to reconsider who can play and who can't, and now is captain captain of the Wallabies from a club in France, is a truly remarkable story. And I think anyone looking for inspiration of how you've harness your talent and then add hard work to that, should be looking to Will Skelton.
2: Uh, and it does help if you're six foot eight and 140
1: yeah. kg. That,
0: that's the big lesson, getting you know up They're, to 140 kegs.
1: Imagine, I mean, I've, I've got this wonderful list of t- players who are too talented to be any good. Um, so like PS Speaks or, I mean, there's like there's just a whole list of these incredible players who never really reached their potential. If they worked as hard as Will Skelton, they could have been the best players the game has ever seen. But they didn't, yeah. They. And Will Skelton did. I do
2: also... think I do think that is a valid point. And just I've just looked yeah. up his weight loss. So he went from over 150 kg, wow, down down to 130 kg. So still enormous. But that was when he that was when he got to Saracens, basically that converted him from the exactly as you're saying, JB. This unbelievable talent, an enormous specimen, to perhaps the most important. Uh, tight headlock in the world, yeah. um, and not just one of the most important players in the world. Uh, he won back-to-back, he had a couple of years with Saracens, he won back-to-back premierships and the Champions Cup in the, in two years with Saracens, and then has done back-to-back Champions Cups with La Rochelle.
0: Incredible.
1: Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> it's an amazing story.
0: Uh, and it does, doesn't it feel a little bit like Ian McGeechan in the 97 Lions uh, when there were more fancied captains Picking Martin Johnson because he would be someone that the South African captain would have to look up at. Yeah, just picking really the most physically point. imposing, intimidating. We might just squeeze that little one percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Australia will be. They might be quite good. God, They're, what, what have tough. we
0: got? Sorry, go. On. Be tough. Yeah, I, I just
2: it kind of reinforces. Like, I'm, I'm not sure I see Wales beating Australia. It's then can Wales get one? Um, one win out of Georgia and or Fiji and uh, full disclosure I've actually got some money on Wales for the World Cup Um, to win it only only because only because I thought 50 to 1 which was what they were rocking a, a few weeks ago was too long for a team that I thought was highly likely to get not only out of their group but have a good shot of getting to a semi-final so I'd expect that to come into if they make a semi-final Maybe like eight to one or ten to one or twelve to one. Do you
1: think so the bookies put... are seeing what you're seeing and that's sixty to one?
2: Well, I checked last week and it came in to forty-four to one after last week. I've not actually checked after this week, but it in my mind it's moved out. So if it's if it's forty nine to one, I might just lay my bet and have it done with so I just yeah. break even. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'd probably do that. <laughs>
0: uh, look looking ahead to this week's games then. Um, if you want to get up at three AM on Tuesday, there's Tonga v Canada, uh, and then Friday night Barbarians v Samoa, and then on Saturday, uh, Wales play South Africa, three fifteen kickoff. Okay, that will be interesting. Right. Looking forward to the teams for that one. Uh, that
2: will be interesting, and that's that's two teams in World Cup scenarios like the the semi final in 2019. They will play it very 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 close kick yeah. everything you'll you'll be setting records for the most kicks um in a game and the hardest defense most tackles in a game um it'll be interesting to see how they approach this because it is a, it's a it's a um prequel for the um for the real thing
1: yeah yeah and I, go on.
0: Ireland play england in
1: dublin can't wait that'll be really <clears throat> tasty because, I, I bet you. I,
0: I'm going to. I'm going to just finish my point uh, on this pod by what I have been saying consistently is I don't think England are, are are nearly as far off as other people do think. I don't think it's personnel. I think it is mindset, top two inches, and I think it can come together and it can click. And if they can start finishing some of these scores, all big ifs, then uh, I think they could even really, go to Ireland and he, cause an upset. You really I'm,
1: feathered your nest here, Tim.
0: The word "if" the word "if" is doing a lot of heavy
1: lifting. Yeah, you no, no, you you really fe- uh, feathered your nest here because if England do well, right under uh, George Ford, you can then say I did call this. I called that England weren't so close, um, weren't so weren't so far off. But then, if no, I'll be, I'll be
0: delighted, but I won't be saying it's all down to George Ford.
1: Yeah, that is that is fair. You did say it, it doesn't matter who plays fly half. So yeah, okay, I'll I'll let you have that.
0: Uh so uh, yeah, Ireland, England, I mean that's yeah, b- big test. Big big test. Um Italy, Romania, it'll be interesting to see. I won't be watching that obviously. France Fiji obviously. The, late, the late kickoff. France Fiji. Um so that, that'll be a real good test of where Fiji are at. Yeah, it'd be great. That could you... be box office that game. Um, uh, do that, you know where about some and...
1: in France it is? Uh let me have a look. I thought Saint Etienne did a great oh, job it of posting.
0: Oh, yes, in Nantes, another one of the World Cup
1: venues. (laughs) Very good. This is going to be a cracking World Cup. I think France is just a great venue for it. Some of these stadiums are superb. I got my allocation
0: through for for tickets, and uh, confirmation I will be in Marseille for those first two games, England v Argentina and Scotland, South Africa.
1: And you've got quite the itinerary of people to meet up for 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 a drink as well i mean i i'm struggling to keep up with your social calendar from our emails
0: yeah i think the one which i think my tactic to this tell me tell me if you think this is appropriate i've been i've been invited to uh, a stag do in talon
1: <laughs> okay which, nice
0: which i'm kind of thinking i might i might say oh yeah i'm going to be in the area doing some work so i'll pop in for an hour and then and then i've then i've got the ability to Extricate myself if I feel I need to, or just go all in if I fancy that as well.
1: What week are we going, Phil? Uh,
2: probably the week of the tw- weekend of about the twenty fourth, something like that. And where, where are we going, Leon? Leon, Leon, I think. Oi. Oh, we've we
0: got a long-time listener. The latest email on uh, with offers is someone who's uh, a listener of the pod who's been living in Leon for a year.
2: That's fantastic.
0: Who, who knows the town and where to go. So they'll know where to uh, drink at altitude. Might even be able to get you a game for a French team, JB. Uh,
1: as long as it's above Federal 2, yeah, I'm in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, keep your emails coming, Contactedchasers at gmail.com. I didn't get through as nearly as many of them as I should. I'll, I'll, I'll do
1: that next yeah, time. Yeah, and including... also we've got some great mission statements from the RFU, yes. and I've got stuff to give away. So,
0: Well, the next, next week, I think we will have uh, more time for that. Because hopefully it will be much more positive, much less disagreement, and we'll be able to get stuck into all of that.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the grassroots game very, very quickly and the new tackle height laws? Yeah. Let's, let's talk on about it. Like, should we do five minutes? Yeah, go yeah, cool. ma- Max five minutes. Max five go. minutes. Okay. So I'm timing. Go. So I did play on the weekend, despite retiring. But the reason I played is I thought I can't possibly slag, the, slag these rule changes off, law changes off. Without at least trying it, that would just be that'd be unacceptable behaviour from, from from my from my part. So, I went and did the second half against Trafford Metrovix. By the way, Trafford Metrovix at the moment, their clubhouse is looking awesome. They uh, they beat us by two points, I think, and they've also they're in their centenary. Year, and their scene cent- centenary kit is sensational. Anyway, that's besides the point. So, because it was quite an open game. I've got to say, I don't think it made a tremendous amount of difference. Um, there were some, there were some penalties which, you know, we weren't too sure if they were penalties or not. My, when the game started, it felt like actually the tackle completion went up. Uh, the biggest incident of the day was our scrum half, who's also our captain, getting kneed into the head. And I tell you what, if we had a physio, he would have been off, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, there is going to be knees to heads, particularly for more tenacious t- tacklers. I think it's going to be very, very dangerous. That would be that would be my takeaway. But in terms of how it is played, I did not notice an enormous amount of difference, I've got to say. Now, let me just Ooh. couch out with, this is my opinion, based on that one game which I thought was quite... Uh, it wasn't a great game to be part of because everyone was breaking the line... It was very hard to. It, it did feel like you couldn't be dominant in, in, in defence. And I think one of the reasons everyone was breaking the line was because it's just, it is. It's just. It causes uncertainty. I've heard nothing but negative feedback, though, from the higher leagues. So level five and above. We've got a mutual friend who's a ref who said it was absolutely horrendous to referee. <clears throat> but I am. Um, it's definitely not a game that I want to play. So it's not luring me back in back into the game. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but I don't know if this game is enough of a sample size to make a decision on.
2: Mm. Initially, no, I, I not... I've seen it's it's interesting that that's your position, and I I've seen two bits of feedback from referees or refereed one one at quite a decent level, uh, like you say m- mutual friend level, ref level five slash six. One team from level five last year just dropped down to level six, and. Another who were second in level six last year, so the top end of level six, and he did say it was an awful game, like not not enjoyable to referee. Yeah, lots of penalties, lots of stop starts, and then we had another um, who refereed at Dings twos. Um, yeah, we did, didn't Yeah, so, yeah. So level eight game, and he was very positive about it overall. Now he said the advice he, he'd been given as the referee was basically uh, the. Cut off for everyone. If the tackler tackles the ball or below, on the ball or below, there is no issue. No issue at all. If it's above the ball, that's where question marks start getting raised. Obviously, if the ball is held around the hips and you tackle above the ball, not a problem. If the ball's held around the nipples and you tackle it above the ball, you've got a problem. And I thought that's it's quite an obvious point but it makes it quite... You've got this big white thing in the middle of your body that you, um, segregates what could be a questionable um, area to what is no question at all. And, of course, the, the pick-and-go immediately around rooks and malls, there is no change to the laws because it's refereed, kind of how it's always been refereed. The
1: one, the one thing I would say is I was very, very... Um... Preoccupied with scrummaging and line-outs. So defence was not really a big part of my game at all. In fact, I think I... Standard. Yeah, yeah, completely. I would like to talk to more centres about their experience because, you know, back row, that's where it'll really make a difference. One of our back row made a tremendous tackle. My other thought is that... If it does reduce concussions by one concussion per season per 14 league teams, like the RFU claim it might, which begs the question why it needs to be done in the first place, it doesn't make much of a difference to the game, which begs the question why it needs to be done in the first place. I would love to know about the severity because uh, our scrum half did get hit in the head very, very hard. And, you know, if so, I mean, that's the sort of. um, that is the sort of case where you want your players removed, and the sort of case where I refuse to be removed. But um, yeah, I wonder if the severity of the individual incidents are going to start getting a lot, a lot worse now. Mm. Less, but more serious. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, so I'm, we'll.
0: I'm glad you played and gave it a go, and uh, hopefully well, you got to try, this, it, haven't you? If are you, you been... still
1: classing yourself as retired, or it didn't light the fire, to be honest. Okay, I mean, like it was. It was great to be back in the changing room uh, after You are like not, four you're not answering my
0: question. I am not trying to pin you down, or I am not trying to shame you in any way. I am just genuinely curious. Do you do you regard yourself as retired, or just an occasional
1: player? Yeah, I have left the door open. I see rugby now as something which I am going to do on occasions. Yeah, occasionally. Now, I was hoping that I'd get in there and it would be awesome, and I just want yeah, I want more of this, more of this, more of this. It didn't leave me with that, unfortunately.
0: But you're you're un- you're unretired, so you're available for the North Dorset Sevens
1: 2024. Oh, I'll play. Oh yeah, yes. I'll, 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 I'll play the occasional game.
0: That's think. a positive. That's a brilliantly positive note to end on.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, North Yeah, that is a positive uh, note to leave it on because North Dorset, Dorset Sevens is back. Oh, and can yeah. I just give one more shout out? Go on, friend of the show, Chris Chris Bentley, right? and I'll give you more details on this, has decided to row from Barcelona to Ibiza in the course of three days. Amazing. Yeah, so I'll give you more details on that as the story develops, developing story. <laughs> that is that, cool. that is
0: some serious commitment to getting on the piss, that.
1: Isn't it? <laughs> oh. I mean, I want to go to Ibiza as much as the next guy. I'm not rowing there.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome effort. Yeah, I want to hear more about that on the next pod. But uh, thank you very much for listening. I guess uh, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Sweet. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.